We are back for week 16. The Steelers 7-7, seven and seven, looking like a long shot for the playoffs, but still three games to go in 2023. I'm Matt Geico alongside Steelers Now analyst Derek Bell. This is your Steelers Now pregame scout as they play their second consecutive Saturday afternoon game. 4.30 kick coming up at AccraSure Stadium against the Cincinnati Bengals. Rematch against Cincy after Pittsburgh won the first meeting um, out there in Ohio. The loss last week, though, at Indy. Dropped the Steelers from 6th in the AFC all the way down to 10th. And according to Derek, who just ran the odds on the playoff predictor online, 3% chance of making the playoffs. And even if they win all three uh, of their final games here, that's still not even a guarantee. They have them at 80% if they win all three. And that would be certainly a a task that would require some doing as they have games against two motivated bubble teams coming up in Cincy and then at Seattle, and then a division champ in Baltimore who still might be playing for something because you only get one bye in each conference these days. So uh, the Ravens certainly don't have that locked up, at least uh, not quite yet. But let's address the news here first, Derek, before we get into the X's and the O's, because Kenny Pickett will not be back for this game against Cincinnati. He's been ruled out as of Thursday afternoon. He had been practicing pretty extensively coming back from that ankle injury, but he'll miss his third consecutive game. And Mike Tomlin confirmed it will be Mason Rudolph. So uh, I know you had a take on whether the Steelers should even play Pickett at all down the stretch here whenever he does get healthy. How do you feel about that once he is able to get back on the field? Yeah, just from the videos that we saw, it looked like, you know, Kenny was still kind of moving a little gingerly, at least the stuff that I saw um, on the Twitter sphere, if you will. But um, not overly surprising. You know, it's only been, you know, a couple weeks since he had that uh, the tightrope surgery on his ankle. Um, I just, you know, I've seen a lot of discourse, you know, we are in a situation right now with, you know, seven and seven, uh, the stewards are probably not going to make the playoffs. Let's just call it what it is. Um, but you know, in the event that they did lose this week or they're eliminated early from the playoffs or what have you, um, seen a lot of discourse about like, you know, whether he should play or whether they should just sit in for next year. And, um, something I really just feel really strongly about, man, it's like, if he's healthy, and that's the key word here, like healthy, and I mean like healthy enough, not just from a pain tolerance standpoint, but healthy enough to where, you know, his ankle is good enough to where he can get himself out of harm's way. You don't want to put him out there where his mobility is so strictly prohibited that he can't get out of the pocket or he can't navigate the way he needs to. Um, and that could potentially put him in more danger of getting injured. But if he's healthy, man, he should absolutely play these last two games. Uh bar none, even if the Steelers were to lose Saturday and their playoff hopes have officially, you know, ended, um, he should definitely play, man. Like, I think every snap that he's on the sidelines instead of on the field is just one less opportunity to kind of evaluate him as a player. And um, I know a lot of takes are, you know, well, he's still in the same offense or like there's some people that are already saying like, oh, you don't need to see anything else. There's some people saying, oh, just give him a new offensive coordinator next year and start fresh. I just I think that these even two games is valuable experience for him. And and it's an opportunity to learn more about him as a player and, you know, two more games to see like what type of strengths you're going to try to build on. If he's going to be the quarterback next year, what do you need in an offensive coordinator? What do you need uh, in weapons or things around him in order to make sure that he's successful? And I just think punting on that opportunity makes absolutely no sense to me. Well, it seems like if Kenny were healthy, he would be playing this week. Yep. So it it feels like Tomlin and his staff are on the same page as you there. And and yeah, frankly, I'd like to see more regular season games from him because we know the, the preseason doesn't tell us a whole heck of a lot, as we discovered 
this year in painful fashion. So, all right, we addressed that. We can move on to first down as we discuss the Steelers first, their loss to the Colts, 30-13, to and it might not have even been that close. The score might even have flattered the Steelers despite having a 13-0 lead in that first half. Derek, is it time to talk about defensive coordinator Terrell Austin? Because he's largely avoided a lot of the scrutiny that's been laid upon, mainly the offensive coaches this year, uh, Matt Canada at the first part of the season, and even recently um, with uh, how they're going about it by committee, doesn't seem to have improved much of anything. But I think it is time to talk about the defense. And whether it be execution, injuries, or coaching, we've just watched offenses led by Kyler Murray against Arizona, Bailey Zappi of the Patriots and Gardner Minshew of the Colts all tear up this defense, big plays down the middle of the field, but also all over the field, chunk plays with regularity. So um, how would you scrutinize Austin's job and, and how he's done this year? Because this unit has been largely neutralized during this losing streak. Yeah, I think the big thing, man, is just, uh, you know, the the context or, you know, I don't want to say excuse, but the context that everybody's using uh, is, you know, well, they're really, really banged up in the middle of the field. And, um, you know, that is absolutely true. You know, being down there top two linebackers has been really tough. You can definitely feel that when you watch the tape. You can feel it when you watch the team live. I mean, uh, opposing teams are just absolutely attacking those guys, especially in crucial situations. Like you look at the red zone stuff. Um, it was very, very obvious that, you know, whenever Indy got in the red zone, it was they knew they would get man coverage because that's how the Steelers play. Uh, they're fourth in uh, man coverage usage in the red zone. And Minshew's eyes directly, as soon as he took the snap, was like, all right, where's the linebackers at? Because that's where I'm going. They had a they had a lot of uh, good ideas to kind of expose those guys. And um, I do think that, you know, it's worth talking about just because of how this team's constructed. And, you know, look, the offense has been bad all season long. There's no denying that that's the Achilles heel of this team. But uh, people are, you know, kind of pointing the finger at a million different ways. But the reason why that the Steelers have lost three straight is not because of really anything else other than that the defense has not played very well. Uh, over the last three weeks, they're 25th in EPA per play. Uh, now, they've had some guys miss, uh, obviously, but. Their, suit, their stars have been in the lineup for the most part. Uh, Mika Fitzpatrick, you know, did miss, um, you know, the last half of the game or whatever against Indy. But for the most part, you know, Highsmith, Watt, Cam Hayward, those guys, uh, Joby, those guys have all been in the lineup. So, you know, it's, it's really difficult because um, the Steelers only have very specific ways to win football games right now. They have to have the defense play very well. Um, and they have to get turnovers and play that kind of chaotic brand of football over there. And uh, over the last three games, they've only forced one turnover. That's something that the Steelers were doing at an incredibly high rate. And that's why they call it sometimes like turnover luck. It's just because sometimes that that brand of football, it just isn't sustainable. And I think that's something uh, that we've seen over the last couple of weeks is uh, they're just not generating those splash plays. And like you said, they're allowing a lot of chunk plays over the middle and down the field. The Colts ran 14 straight times on a clock-killing drive to put the game away last Saturday. That seems to hurt the most, right? Because it's just a matter of straight-up beating the guys at the line of scrimmage. And you highlighted it in your film room study piece on Steelers Now Plus. I suggest everyone check that out, uh, entitled Tale of the Trenches. We'll talk about the offensive trenches in a little bit, but uh, on the defensive side, that was just so demoralizing to know that they, they couldn't stop in this modern age. You can't stop 14 straight runs. You're encouraging your opponent to just call the same plays over and over again and having success. Why do you think uh, that happened against Indy? 
Yeah, it's just like one of those things, man, where I feel like the if you ask like any football coach or any football guy, I think the worst way to absolutely lose is just, you know, getting kind of punked out at the line of scrimmage. And I, that's really what I felt like, you know, watching the game live. And then, you know, just going back and watching the tape. I mean, I, I just felt like that Indy was the more physical team up front in the trenches on both sides of the ball. They really controlled the line of scrimmage. Uh, you look at just like early in the game, you know, the Steelers were not able to uh, really generate anything on the ground. Uh, Grover Stewart, DeForest Buckner really clogged things up in the middle. Um, and then their pass rush um, on the outside with the edge rushers, those tr the trio of guys that they've got just absolutely dominated the one-on-ones with Dan Moore and Roderick Jones. So, um, you know, you mentioned the 14-play drive. You know, the, the decision from Tomlin to punt there still makes absolutely no sense to me, but it is what it is. Um, but allowing 14 minutes, I think the drive lasted not or 14 plays. It lasted nine minutes total, uh, was just a killer. Like I, I think I put in the article, it was almost like, uh, Shane Steichen was just throwing up like two middle fingers and saying like, <laughs> come stop it. We're going to keep running the ball. They ran the same play five times on the drive. I mean, it was almost the same exact formation. They just ran split zone. Um, I mean, it really, um, just a killer kind of demoralizing drive to watch kind of unfold during that um, situation. So, you know, the defense, um, it's there's obviously things working against them, and it would be nice if just every once in a while the offense could kind of bail them out. But that's just – we've just gotten to the point in the season where you have to stop almost expecting that. And if the Steelers are going to make the playoffs and go on some, like, miraculous run right now, the defense is going to not only have to get back to where they were playing, but they're going to have to play even better just based on how the offense has struggled. And speaking of offense, I hate to talk about the, the so-called hot-button issues on this show, Derek, because I feel like we want to dig in deeper and find some angles that perhaps haven't been considered. But I feel like this does dovetail in with what's been happening this week. George Pickens uh, apparently will play. He will not be benched by Mike Tomlin, maybe for a drive. I guess we'll see what happens here because uh, Mike was very mysterious about what repercussions might be coming for Pickens. Um, well, to use your words, punking out on some block opportunities one in particular with Jalen Warren near the end zone uh, against Indy. That's the one that's gotten the most scrutiny. But overall this year, he's had some a lack of effort, no effort, uh, just switching off uh, while the ball is still in play, while in one case the ball was literally on the field, uh, I believe a fumble um, against the Bengals the last time out. So uh, it's popped up multiple times where Pickens is just not given his best. Uh, my question to you, big picture, is this guy good enough? Can he be good enough where you can overlook this sort of thing because yeah, it went bad with AB later in his career, but he had already established himself for several seasons as one of the best, if not the best receivers in the NFL and one of the best in history. Um, honestly, Pickens is nowhere near that. He's so early in his career. Is this just too big of a red, of a red flag to you? Or do you see something in his skill set where you're like, man, if they can just soften some of these edges here, he could really be something. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it's just a lack of maturity overall. And, you know, there's been so, like you said, there's been so much discourse online that it's almost it's almost hard to find an angle that somebody isn't already hit on. But, um, you know, only the guys like my, my take on like stuff like this is normally, you know, only the guys in the locker room can really t truly tell you how much it matters. Um, my take is that it matters. I don't know that it matters as much as people are saying it does, uh, but it's absolutely a factor. Like well, Jalen Warren's comments to me were very, uh, very telling. You know, he came out and said, you know, I would have blocked for him or we're just different kind of players. And, you know, you want that camaraderie, especially among guys on offense, young guys that you're building around. Obviously, you expect Jalen Warren to be around here for the next couple of years. George Pickens the same way. So you have to wonder, like, what the relationship is there. How, how is that all going to play out? 
Um, but, you know, I think the really the big thing is to like you look at the way Pickens started the season and then you just look at some of his numbers, some of his involvement um, over the last couple of weeks. And you can just tell he's frustrated. And that just that happens when you're playing bad ball. And that's just the reality of it. Uh, but I think to Mike Tomlin's point, something he's hit on repeatedly is you have to focus that energy in a positive way, in a constructive way that's going to make him and make the offense better not blocking on the goal line doesn't make anybody better. That's just, that's really obvious. It's a bad look. Um, but having said that, like, can he be good enough to where some of this stuff can be overlooked? Yeah, absolutely. But as we saw, like, it's not just, it's not like he's playing poorly. You know, he had that chance at the 50, 50 ball last week, uh, kind of a weird play where he ended up getting kind of mossed by Nick cross the DB for the Colts. Uh, but even, you know, they had chances of getting the ball. I mean, you look at the interception that Mitch threw, the second one, he's throwing off his back foot, sails the ball 15 yards over his head. I mean, there's just – I think it's just gotten to this boiling point where, um, you know, he thinks that his numbers probably should be a lot better, and I don't necessarily disagree. But, again, there is better, more mature ways to go about things than the way that he's went about it, at least in the last couple of weeks. And you raise a good point there. It has not been the ideal atmosphere for a young receiver to to grow up in. He's being forced to tolerate some subpar play, both uh, from the quarterback, from the line, honestly, not giving enough protection. So there's a lot going on there. It's just really tough to evaluate. I, I do wonder if the Steelers were, say, uh, 4-10 and 10 right now, as opposed to 7-7, seven and seven. would Tomlin send that message? I think he probably would. But I think he also needs George Pickens um, on the field in order to, to keep playoff hopes alive. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, and another thing with the like, I know that every time something happens with the Steelers receivers, like it always goes back to A.B. I think here's the thing that I think people often um, often kind of miss is, uh, you know, with the Steelers were able to keep that under wraps because not only is Tomlin typically um good in those type of situations but um but also you know he ab was gonna get the numbers because they had an elite quarterback that just is yeah. what it is the, the best way to keep receivers happy is to throw them the football and when you're not getting the ball thrown to you those guys typically uh those diva type tem- tendencies uh usually pop up more than they don't so right now they just don't have a guy like that that can just feed the rock to the best player it's just not how the offense is constructed it's not how the offense has been ran over the past couple seasons um and then i'll just go back to kind of my my thought that i just kept coming back to yesterday after seeing some of these quotes like roll in is i just feel like the steelers need an adult on offense like there's been some talk over the past couple weeks about who the leader is you know uh you know kenny pickett's still kind of finding his way i always think it's like really difficult for a quarterback a young quarterback who is not the proven guy long term to go in there and be like the leader of the offense i just i think it's a difficult kind of thing because not only are you trying to establish yourself in the league as a player you're trying to also be the adult, be the grown up in the room. And for a second year guy, I just don't think he's there yet. And you've, you kind of get the feeling of, you know, who are the leaders in the offense? Like the leader in the wide receiver room is Deontay Johnson. Well, Deontay Johnson gave up on a play just a couple of weeks ago. You know, even though he's not, he's probably not the most, uh, you know, he's more of a quieter guy too. You know, he's voiced his frustrations several different times this season. So where, where, where is the grown up in the room uh, just on offense right now? to kind of guide them through some troubling times. We think about like Najee Harris, a guy that was a captain a couple years ago. He hasn't been talking to the media over the past couple of weeks. So like, there's just, I just don't know the lack of maturity on that side of the ball is just very evident. You listen to TJ Watts comments about, uh, you know, guys not wanting to like fully practice or 
you know, practice hard when they're when they're uh, scheduled to and stuff like that. And I just I keep coming back to like, man, this this team could really use a star player on offense who knows how to go about their business. And they just don't have that right now. And I think you're seeing some of that. A football team really is two different teams when you think about it that way. Right. T.J. Watt, um, Cam Hayward, Minka Fitzpatrick. I'm not sure. Any degree of um, example or, I guess, vocal leadership is going to totally get across to a guy on the other side of the football, right? Because they're ultimately uh, trying to accomplish two different tasks here, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, and too, like just like the meeting rooms, like how you go about your preparation, like the like we saw like Alan Saunders video of, you know, the the receiver drills, like a guy like even a guy like Deontay Johnson, who I've watched the Duke practice, like I know how he works, but you know, obviously that example is not going to the rest of the room. You look at George Pickney's jog- jogging through the drill and it's just not a good look, man. Like you, it, there is like you, if you've ever played ball, you've ever coached ball, you've ever been around ball uh, at any level, that, that type of effort is usually resulting in, all right, let's do the drill over again. And it's <laughs> yeah. just the, especially, I think it, everything just hurts more, I think, or makes it look more because the Steelers are losing. That That's the big deal. Like we can talk about the Steeler way or the standard, whatever, all these things get magnified because the Steelers are losing games. And that's that's really what um, has kind of brought a lot of these issues, I feel like, to a boiling point is just they're not winning games. So a lot of these this like little stuff is getting magnified uh, and getting heightened. So, um, like you said, man, I think they need an adult in the room. Maybe that's a conversation for the for the offense in the offseason. Um, but we'll just have to see how these next couple of weeks play out. My My hope is that we can just get through the rest of the regular season no more major injuries, and the locker room doesn't combust, and I think you've almost got to take it as a win at this point. Huh. Yeah, right. Expectations have certainly dropped in that regard. And just one last thing about Antonio Brown, if you're making comparisons, I never doubted his effort on the field, that's for sure. Uh, the guy was a, a total professional when he was between the lines. It was just everything else, I think, eventually became too much right. for uh, for Tomlin to handle. Even, uh, what was it, the 2018 finale, Brown sent home essentially when there was everything on the line yet uh, for Pittsburgh in that game. So it did get to that boiling point, but it was much later and it was just in a different way. So I'm not sure those comparisons really match up. And of course, the Steelers here at seven and seven in danger of uh, the first losing season for Mike Tomlin. Let's go to third down. And uh, we did you did mention the offseason, some thoughts there. Uh, looking at the line, you're, you're wondering maybe this is the biggest area where they could bolster because. Well, just last week, uh, a pretty good epitome of where the Steelers are at up front on the offensive side. Uh, Mason Cole, another rough game, not just getting beat on blocks, but uh, of course the, the shotgun snaps have been a consistent issue this year too, kind of a big part of the job. Dan Moore was just rated the worst pass protection tackle in the NFL per pro football focus as they updated their rankings last week. Broderick Jones beaten often against the Colts too. Uh so uh, is this the, the hidden biggest problem for this team, or is it kind of weird to say there is a biggest problem? Maybe it's just the offense in general. But uh, as we all know, when uh, the, the line isn't doing its job, it can make everybody look uh, like they're not doing their job. Yeah, I mean, look, there's no denying that the Sewers have had bad quarterback play throughout the entire season. And even, even if you're grading on a curve uh, for Trubisky's kind of stint in um, Kenny Pickett's absence, he just hasn't played well. I mean, there that much is obvious. He's missed easy throws. He's missing easy throws because he's making mistakes that you wouldn't anticipate a veteran to make with his footwork, fading away, with his eyes not being in the right spot. All those things are absolutely true. Having said that, if you're allowing pressure on over 53% of your snaps, 
the quarterback's going to struggle, like regardless of who you've got back there, unless you've got some elite guy navigating pressure and navigating the pocket when it's dirty, um, you're going to have issues. And that was a consistent theme uh, in the Colts tape. You mentioned the struggles of, of the tackles. I think 14 pressures and four sacks between the two tackles on last Saturday. That's tough, man. I mean, when you're, when you're allowing and getting beat that consistently, um, and it's really the same things, right? Like Dan Moore Jr., you saw um, – Samson Ebicam, guy we talked about last week, um, just run th- straight to his chest because Moore is consistently a guy who has his hand placement wide. He's slow to get his hands on the rusher, and he will give up his chest. So Ebicam just ran straight to his chest multiple times, just bull rushed uh, Moore back into the quarterback. And then Broderick Jones, you saw some of the struggles that we've seen in recent weeks, even dating back to his time at Georgia, just the low hand carriage. So just when he's dropping back in his set, he's almost got his hands down to his ankles and he's slow to get his hands up. So when you're carrying your hands that low, it makes it easier to swipe them away. I know Dale got him twice with the cross chop that I remember. Uh, he actually gave up another sack, but it was negated by a penalty. Uh, Allen Robinson got tackled down the field, but um, just a really ugly performance across the board. James Daniels, I think six pressures as well. Um, he missed on at least one stunt his way that allowed Mitch to get his clock clean. So it was just a really ugly performance, especially from a team. I like the Colts front. I think they're a lot better than the numbers would indicate they are, but that can't happen. Like this is a Colts defense that has, it's not like they've been just shutting the door on opposing offenses all season long. I mean, this is not an elite unit. um, Even if I do feel like they're just a little bit underrated. How do you feel about coaching on the line? Do you feel like there's enough talent there? Uh, or a talent that can be cultivated. And of course, some of these guys are still pretty young, but um, that might be difficult to project. But just you're a guy who watches players coming out of college and you you make your grades and you assess them in that way coming into the pros. Um, is there a development issue for the Steelers with their offensive linemen? Um, I, I do think that there has to be some conversation about uh, Pat Meyer going into the offseason. Uh, you know, Meyer's got a very unique way of teaching the offensive line. Uh, he prefers an aggressive uh, mindset. There's a good coaching clinic on YouTube of his where he kind of explains some of his philosophy, some of the drills, the way he teaches certain things. Um, but look, I mean, I, I think this past offseason, you just look at some of the investments that the Steelers made on the offensive line and they went out and got Isaac Samalo. Uh, they went out just in recent seasons, went out and got Mason Cole, James Daniels. Uh, Dan Moore is really the lone holdover from really before he got here. Um, they trade up to draft Roger Jones. And has there been do I think the offensive line has been better than maybe it was like two, three years ago before he took over. Yeah. But I don't think that the offensive line has been significantly better than it was last season. And I think that that hurts when you go sign a left guard to a $30 million contract and you trade up into the early teens to draft the, uh, well, what we thought was going to be a franchise left tackle who's playing right tackle right now, which also is a, a whole different issue. But are you getting the bang for your buck based on the type of investment that you've made in some of these guys? And, you know, Broderick was always a guy that I anticipated be kind of struggling a little bit uh, in pass protection as a rookie, which he has. Uh, he's made some impact blocks in the run game and you see some of the flashes with his athleticism. Uh, but in terms of like with him kind of hitting this kind of rookie wall where over the past couple of weeks, especially he struggled in pass protection. I think you have to ask yourself, is Meyer the guy that's going to be able to bring the best out of him? Because he's kind of this moldable ball of clay where he's got an an unlimited ceiling with the set of tools, the length, the athleticism, the size. Is he the guy that you want kind of molding a guy like Broderick Jones? I think that's a very interesting question to ask yourself in the offseason. 
I would personally probably say that they really just need to start over on offense altogether. That that's just my take on things. And there's so much focus on scheme, right, and and all of that, but it, it could be just as much about the guys who are absorbing the blows and and trying to give the skill players enough time to do their thing. Okay, let's finally move on to the actual opponent this week. The Steelers have plenty of issues to discuss internally, but they are preparing to play Cincinnati. Uh, the Bengals right there with them in the scramble for the final two AFC wildcard spots, but the Bengals have uh, won a couple in a row here, and their backup quarterback, no longer the backup, of course, Jake Browning, taking over for Joe Burrow a few weeks back. In fact, uh, didn't look so great against the Steelers the first time out back on November the 26th, the uh, the weekend after Thanksgiving. But since then, the stat lines have been improving, putting up some pretty good numbers, QB rating, completion percentage, um, whatever you want to look at there. He is uh, making some plays, and especially with T. Higgins uh, this past week in a dramatic victory against the Vikings. So, um, like I said, Pittsburgh gave him some trouble against, uh, or in Cincinnati, I should say, a couple of weeks ago. What do you think has made the difference lately as Browning and the, and the uh, Bengals' offense has flipped the switch and uh, have certainly surged here down the stretch? Yeah, I think the big thing, man, is just, uh, you know, as as expected, you know, a guy gets a little bit more playing time, he gets more comfortable. And I think that's really what you see with Browning. He's playing more within himself. When when the, when they played the Steelers, you know, dang, I mean, it was just, what, four weeks ago? I mean, it yep. seems like forever ago based on everything that's happened in the Steeler land. Um but, you know, the Steelers were able to get him off of his spot. They were able to kind of force him into creation mode early, confuse him a little bit with um, some road coverages, uh, some post-snap rotation, things like that. Got him to hold on to the ball and make some mistakes. Um, you know, with Browning over the past couple weeks, there are still some times you see on film of his, um, you know, him turning down some throws, just not playing as fast as he needs to. But there's just been a lot more plays in structure. He looks so much more comfortable in the offense. I think Zach Taylor's done a good job just kind of constructing things in order to play to his skill set. Um, and really just like you watch the Vikings game, man, like seeing how the Vikings have played against quarterbacks this season, they have just devoured backup quarterbacks, bad quarterbacks all season long. And Browning played pretty well. I mean, he obviously got some help uh, from those two receivers, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. Those are all good things. Having those guys – uh, is obviously a big benefit to him, but he was nailing in breakers, man. Like any type of high low, he was reading things correctly. Uh, the Vikings, obviously, they show cover zero, drop eight, they bring pressure, they do a lot of crazy, funky stuff, unlike what anybody else does in the league. Browning had the answers. I mean, he know where to knew where to go with the ball. He didn't like take catastrophic losses or bad plays. Um, and just like you mentioned, just the success, the stats over the past couple of weeks have been really impressive. Uh, during that three week stretch, uh, the Bengals are second in EPA per play on offense uh, behind only the Niners. They're fourth in success rate at 48 percent. I mean, this has been a unit that's humming, averaging over 30, 30 points per game. So I think when you just look at the totality of things, I mean, backup quarterback, they've had some injuries. Uh, they've been the offense has been carrying them, uh, which is, you know, a testament to, you know, Zach Taylor and the rest of those guys for, you know, helping him get up to speed. And what have you seen from T. Higgins? I brought him up. Uh, he's making some plays. He's maybe the, the the second guy you think about when you talk about Bengals wide receivers. But uh, how will he challenge the Steelers secondary? Yeah, I think you go back to uh, just like last year. You know, Higgins, uh, it's been really fortunate for the Steelers. They haven't really had to play play Higgins or Chase all that much. Like one of those guys has basically missed like most of the matchups here in the last couple of years. But uh, Higgins has a hundred yard game in every season that he's played the Steelers. Each of his first three years in the league, he had a hundred yard game. 
uh, last year, you know, when they played in November, uh, Higgins went off for like 148 on nine catches. Cincinnati moved him around the formation. I expect them to do the same. Uh, there was no Jamar Chase in that matchup last year. We won't see Jamar Chase. That was officially uh, ruled out, I think, on Thursday. Uh, no Jamar Chase this weekend either. Um, so they're going to move him around. I mean, Higgins is the classic throwback X-type ball receiver. I mean, he loves to win vertically, contested catch threat. Uh, you saw the spectacular catch that he made against the Vikings to send that game into overtime last yeah. week where he comes back to that underthrown ball, mosses the cornerback, and then somehow finds a way to, like, had the ball cross the plane still one of the more unbelievable plays that I've seen so far this season so um it's going to be a very big test I think Joy Porter Jr these are the matchups that you draft a guy like that for um because Porter does have the size he has the length the physicality to match up with a guy like Higgins and I'm really um looking forward to regardless of the results of the game I'm really looking forward to gauging kind of where Joy Porter Jr is at uh, just based on this matchup alone, because I think Higgins is a definitely a number one caliber receiver, um, and this would be a good kind of barometer for the, for the young for the young guy. And other side of the matchup, the one thing that did stand out from the performance against the Bengals last time out, it was the first game post Matt Canada, Pat Fryermuth. Remember him? He had a big game. Do you think that the that matchup could be exploited again this week? Yeah, I mean, they they showed some things. Of course, um, you know, the Bengals showing a lot of that cover, too. You know, the Steelers, we've mentioned that several times on the on the show throughout the season, but they see more cover, too, than anyone else in the league. Uh, so, the, so the Steelers uh, really were able to attack, you know, kind of the hole in between the two safeties down the field, get him involved, uh, where he had the best game of not just his season, I think of his career from a yardage perspective. Um, there will be opportunities right there. Of course, we're getting a new quarterback. Uh, Louie Rumo is a good game planner, so I'm sure that there are going to be some adjustments on that side of the ball. Um, but one thing about Fryermuth that I just have been a little bit disappointed with is just over the past couple of weeks, you know, he's been responsible for just some killer plays, man. Like you look back at the, the interception in the Patriots game, the one that happened early in the first half, um, he kind of just quits on a route and the ball ends up getting picked. Now, the decision from Trubisky wasn't great in general, um, but, you know, that that's a huge play and definitely something that you – would not expect from a guy who's been in this offense for several seasons. Uh, you think back to last week against the Colts, they had a third down and I think medium. Um, and he's just kind of running this little stick route um, from, you know, an inline position. He goes up, he turns to the middle, but it's zone coverage. And Mitch is expecting him to sit down and he just keeps running and floating towards the middle and the ball ends up behind him. And it's still his punt. So there's just some things like that where I feel like he's almost not helping the backup quarterbacks the way that he really needs to. Cause you know, we hear all about the cliches of, you know, tight ends being quarterbacks, best friends, safety blanket, security blanket, all that other stuff. Um, you know, it would be nice for another big performance from him just to kind of get Mason Rudolph comfortable guy that hasn't played a whole lot of ball here in the last couple of seasons. Um, but you know, farm has been around. Hopefully those guys have gotten a good amount of reps and practice this week and they can continue to take advantage of some of the matchups that they had, uh, Last time out. Well, Fryermuth doesn't block very well, so he's got to make plays in the passing game. Right. Otherwise, <laughs> what exactly do you do here to borrow a line from uh, from office space? All right, so the line was set prior to the announcement that Mason Rudolph would start as opposed to Kenny Pickett. Honestly, I don't think that was going to make that much of a difference, but the Bengals yeah. are favorites on the road, minus two over the Steelers, and the over-under is 37, or at least it was earlier this week. Your prediction, Derek, before we sign off. 
Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I think I've been a bad omen uh, for the Steelers here in recent <laughs> weeks. I keep, yeah. I keep saying like, all right, they're going to get back on the right track, and you know, they're they're going to play better. And I don't know, man. I think last week for me personally was just a. Uh, it was just one of those things where I just started to kind of lose hope. You know, the if if I wanted to spin it to you in a positive way, the Bengals defense, like we talked about, the offense being you know top five in the last three weeks since they last played. The Bengals defense is still not playing very well. Like they're near the bottom of the league, a success rate EPA per play. You can really get after that unit. Uh, they're banged up a little bit on that side of the ball. They lost DJ Reader last week. Um, uh, Cam Taylor Britt still battling an injury. So I think that Mason Rudolph has the potential to have a good game. Uh, will really depend on, you know, if he takes care of the football, but I do expect him to be able to push the ball down the field, uh, especially, you know, assuming that George Pickens plays, there will be some matchups that they can take advantage of. Um, but I just I don't think the defense is playing well enough, man. Like I said, 30 points per game for the Bengals offense over the last three weeks. I just I don't think the Steelers are going to be able to hold them uh, to, you know, under 20 points. And kind of like what we've talked about all season long, if if opposing teams can get 21 points on the Steelers team, it's a wrap. Like they just don't win games. I think they're now one in 10 or one in 11 over the past two seasons when they allow more than 20 points. I think Cincinnati hits that mark and I, I anticipate, you know, them coming away victorious. But obviously, I hope I'm wrong. Steelers, even if they win, according to the NFL's uh, playoff odds on their website, they still would just have a 12% chance of making the playoffs. If they lose, it's basically over. Uh, if they win, it's 12%. As of right now, it's about 5%. So uh, most of the prediction sites seem to agree with that. So really, we should be looking toward the future, but it's hard to really say die. This franchise doesn't really do that very well. And um, I suppose to their credit, but sometimes it might be to their detriment um, because a couple of more draft slots higher over the last few years maybe would have made a difference. Who knows? But here they are. They're still fighting despite having lost three in a row for the first time since very early last season. All right. Once again, kickoff 4.30 Saturday. Set your reminder. Um, then we'll get back to your regularly scheduled football on Sunday for the final two weeks of the season. But uh, Steelers, Bengals, enjoy if you can. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week on the pregame scout.